Welcome to the Cali Ag Podcast. I'm Tyler Colombaro, and I'm the host of this podcast. This podcast will ultimately be an exploration into all aspects of California agriculture, from the crops, to the land, to the water. Listener, if you were not aware, the state of California provides an unquantifiable amount of produce to the world. We will feature guests on each episode that work and lead the agricultural trajectory and symbiosis within the state of California. So listener, join us, tell your friends, and tell a farmer about the Cali Ag Podcast. Folks, we have Cayo Herrera on the Cali Ag Podcast with us today. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the local grower, farmer, the scientist. Hello. I've worked with you over the years, (laughs) (laughs) metaphorically, spiritually, you could say, and I feel like I've learned a lot from you, from afar even, and that's why I'm really grateful to have you on, because you're one of those guys out there that's messing with plants in a general sense. I mean, we could go into it, but you like plants, you like doing ag stuff, you're a hardworking dude, your name literally means callous. You know, you go hard, bro. Deep in your genes and your in who you are as a human. And you've inspired me over the years. And honestly, you've inspired the researcher in me. Wow. Yeah, by having just come across you a few times for sure. Dang. You know? Collecting Thank data, you. thinking deeper about things. So I'm very grateful to have you on here. Listener, Kyle Herrera, he's local to the Reedley 559. Del Rey, Sanger Lokes, fucking Fresno County area, butted up against the Tulare County line. Exactly. And he does big things. Thank you, thank you. For sure. But I want to talk about straight off the bat, the big topic of the year is water. This year when you're growing shit, you're doing shit out there in your farm, did you have problems or any of any kind with water? That late rain that happened recently, like, that really fucked our shit up, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We have a late uh, nectarines, August, they're called August Fire, and that little sprinkle, man, dude. Like, it's a good thing we picked almost most of it before that sprinkle came on, but once that sprinkle came on, man, like, it ruined probably, like, half of whatever we had left over. Wow. Yeah. Ruined how? Like staining and stuff like that, which is like makes it unsellable, kind of. Like you get fruit rot right away, right off the bat. Like it, like pulls up in like the tip where the stems at, Mm -hmm. and it just starts fungus and like mold just right off the bat, and it splits almost instantly. And the stain like you get with the water droplets, like you lose half your boxes right off the bat. Like, when you're talking to farmers, like, they all they care about is boxes, like, volume in boxes, like. Right, for sure. Weight, yeah. right? Yeah, weight, yeah, yeah, ultimately, exactly. right, yeah. And if half of your weight can't go to, to sale because of its appearance, even just alone or something, you know, yeah. or its life literally won't even make it there, that's not what people are going for, for sure. Yeah. But, like, water, like, uh, irrigation-wise, did oh. you have enough? Did oh. you have an abundance this year, like most say? Definitely. Like, yeah? the canal was on all year. It was awesome. Nice. We didn't have to fight with our neighbors. And 
Because it, it's a real battle out there, man. Not, uh, yeah, like a normal year, not yeah. this year where we had a heavy water year. Yeah, I, I hear stories, bro. Dude, like like people go out there and yell. Like it's, it's frustrating too because then you have to run your pump and the water table's not the best. Even after this wet year, the water table didn't go up very much. It's, mm. it's actually pretty terrible right now. Yeah. For us, it still sits like at like maybe 200, 150 feet, which is pretty bad. Yeah, that's, yeah. Especially because we're right next to the Kings River. I bet West Side farmers are sitting like at like 300 or something. 500 feet. We hit water yeah. a thousand feet. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, they're drilling 500, 600 now, I, I heard. Well, wow. maybe, maybe not this past year, but like the year before, there were 500, 600 wells. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, though. That's crazy, though, um, for you to see it on a real scale, like a real-time level. The people, like, come out there and, like, threaten you because, like, you're like, hey, man, you're taking my water. Is that a thing, too, right? Well, people divert water or some shit. When, you, when you're buying a plot of land, yeah. like, you got to look at everything, like, where you are in the output of the canal. Like, yeah. if you're, like, in third place, like... I mean, at the end of the day, you're third place. It doesn't matter if, hey, it's my turn. Like, if first, if the one right off the canal needs the water, like he's not gonna care. Especially if it's an emergency, he's just For gonna sure. he's gonna turn on. Like, For sure. And even while you're using it, and then you just see the water, water level, water level go hella low, and you're just like, dang, dude. We have a couple ranches like that where it's like, we're like third place, fourth place. And we just have to call call the usually it's Alta irrigation out here in Reedley. Okay. But like Sanger area, it's uh, consolidated, so you go you call Fresno, you call the Fresno office, and they're they're a lot cooler than the Alta irrigation. Alta irrigation, they're a little you gotta like play with them a little bit, you know, give them like a bottle or like give them a box of fruit or something because they're a little more. Yeah. You know, they'll accept the bottle. Yeah, there's a bribe. Exactly. No. <laughs> you got to like I mean, I'm, we we okay. notice you noticing us over here. We just want to let you know that we notice you too. Here's a bottle of Jameson. <laughs> Can you turn our water on? Like shit. A couple shots deep, we're going to turn it all on, you know. No, bro, I know it's a struggle though. All jokes aside, like people like uh water rights in general, anything water delegation, it's no joke. I mean, crops literally are dependent upon it. That's it, you know. Yeah. There's no other um, methodology, you know, like, I mean, you could pump from the ground, like you're saying, but it's it gets deeper and deeper that the water keeps dropping and dropping. The more we suck it up from the bottom, the lower and lower it gets, inevitably. Yeah. And the bigger companies are already pumping. Like, they already did the math. They're like, all right, if we pump and we waste this much energy, like, we'll just, we'll still make a profit. So they're already pumping. They don't care about canal or anything. They also don't care if there's no water left and it's like you have to pull from a thousand feet deep later in the future. They're not worried about it because when they're done, they're done. Yeah. It's it's East Coast companies like Fowler Packing and like um, Trinity and Moonlight, like all them, like they really don't care, dude. They just start their pump. Like even now, like I, I can hear their pumps running and I'm just like, dude, there's canal. Why yeah, can you, you hear it, folks? <laughs> you can hear it now 24 <laughs> 7 but that's good man like uh i don't know i feel like water in all these canals and shit especially out to irrigation when i was in my watershed ecology course at reedley college shout out to louis long 
we were learning about the watershed, right? The Kings River watershed, essentially, because it's literally the campus like falls into that watershed, right? The Kings River flows right behind Reedley College. And I grew up here, right? I grew up up the upstream, up the same river, you know? So it was really cool for me to learn this stuff in this course. But we would talk about how like water is always diverted for other purposes. Naturally, this, before the dam was put in Pine Flat uh, Lake Dam or whatever, Pine Flat Reservoir has a dam and it lets out a shit ton of water every year, right? But it only lets out the amount that is like equal, like in, in balance to the actual needs downstream most of the time. But when yeah. we have a heavy water year like this year, they have to let out as much as they possibly can at certain time frames so that way they can make room for incoming snow melt so yeah. the dam doesn't overflow. So that means we have excess water essentially in all the canals like you stated and the rivers and all the ways because of the excess precipitation we received this year, which is a good thing. Some would say it's not enough to, to fix the ills that we've created from you know decades, centuries of farming this land the way we are. But... It's a shit ton of water, and it's got to go somewhere. And where it goes, if it's not diverted off into Alta Irrigation and all these other irrigation districts along the way, it lands in Tulare Lake, the old historical infamous Tulare Lake. And I've talked about it on this podcast a few times. Talked about it for sure a little bit with Louis Long on episode number five. I talked about it for sure with Anthony Garcia on like episode 12, I think it was. And I said I was going to go there. But I went there, you and went I there? found the search for Tulare Lake was real that day. I got off work at the Wake House right off the Kings River thinking, I'm going to see where this shit goes. So I put a message in a bottle, and I threw it in the river. And I'm like, I'm going to find you in a little bit. Put a tracker wow. in that bottle. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I, I was like, dang, you're down. Man. Do the old school. Yeah. <laughs> Some military. No, you could just Google it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Google map Tulare Lake, and then they'll give you coordinates, right? Yeah. Well, we already tried that. Previously, me and Allison, we were on the search for Tulare Lake. We even took our boy Asher with us because mm-hmm. it's a cool thing to see. It's a historic uh, happening, you know? Definitely. So instead of going to Stratford like we did the first time, mm-hmm. we go out towards uh, Corcoran. Corcoran. Right? And then from Corcoran, we put in Stratford because it's somewhere in between the two. The two high, main highways, which is like, what, 41 and like, forget the other ones, like 53. or I don't know the number over there. It's a weird one. 43. Something like that. Mm-hmm. But that goes to Corcoran, right? So we took all these backcountry farm roads along Tulare Lake. But on the map, you could kind of see it. But we couldn't see water. So we kept driving. A lot of the roads literally were blocked off temporarily with, like, roadblocks. That road closed. And then eventually we went to this, like, tomato packing plant, TYT, way out there. Mm-hmm. They're around the west side, too. TYT is, like, a big-ass tomato. It's Young's, isn't it? It's, like, something Young, tomato, whatever. Mm-hmm. TYT, whatever. They do tomatoes and shit. Anyways, we're going out there, bro. There's like a bunch of tomatoes. Bunch of fucking tomatoes. There's a big-ass dairy in between the tomatoes. There's a bunch of corn all of a sudden. And then, boom, there's this fucking massive body of water. For as far as we could see, the road literally just ends into the water. And all the telephone poles just go across the water. And you could tell it's not that deep, but it's vast. Just like historically, Tulare Lake would look. Did you see, like, can you see across it? Like... All the way. I can't see where it ends from what? where we were standing. Like, I mean, I'm sure on the map it ends, like, you know, as the ridges of the foothills nearby or something, you know? So that, that lake is completely on right now. Like It's huge. Lake. It's not as big as it used to be uh-huh. back in the Dizay before they drained that uh, thing. I'm sure it's, like, it's, one of the biggest but, lakes. Cause, and when you drive around it, it was a trip to drive around it because we were, like, bordering it. And mm-hmm. you can see that there's these... Um, concentric circles that they must have dug in out over the decades 
around this lake. So that way, if it did get fuller than it should, it would go over like a moat kind of into another concentric circle around it. So it would have to fill up that before flooding too far inland or, or towards the cities or wherever would be nearby, which is kind of far away from cities, honestly. It's out in the middle of nowhere, bro. So this happens quite often if, that, if they have that. It's they... happened four times in the last hundred years. This is one of those years. Four times? Four times. Wow. Yeah. Some would argue like five, I think, but... So that lake, it was that lake good, wants to be a lake then? It wants to be a lake. Yeah. Historically, it was always a lake. All the watersheds would kind of end there, and the Tulare Basin would kind of end there, I think, mm. essentially. You know, the, the Tulare, uh, like, watershed, the bigger, the bigger scope of a watershed is the basin, right? There's a Kings River, a Kings River Basin, right? Yeah. And it's next to the Tulare Basin, and those, I think, both kind of go into historical territory like i'm no expert but it's fascinating to me it's awesome to think about where all this water goes and where it actually ended up and then to note that all that water is just sitting there i mean i know it's weird to pump it and send it somewhere else but what about these years when you do it you could keep it like cycling i don't i don't know man but either way most years what they'll do by the time the king's river gets down close to the san joaquin river down there north near stratford mm-hmm. They would pump it off into the San Joaquin, the Kings River, into the San Joaquin, which does go out to the ocean, which is what the system that's in play most years does do. But I don't see anyone doing anything with the water that's at Tulare Lake either, you know. It's probably like way too much. So like, if it's not going out to the ocean like people complain about, it's going to a uh, just a big-ass, vast, nasty body of water that no one's doing anything with. It's kind of contaminated, you could almost argue, too, because like there's structures underwater. That means there's probably septic tanks underwater water's not very clean i didn't want to get in that lake you know it's not a it's not a boating lake well <laughs> could be i guess later but if they left it to do that and, they, and we had a lot of good water years in a row mm-hmm. it would probably maintain its permanency for a longer period of time and then there'd Definitely. probably be a bunch of ecologists on the scene like look at all the wildlife you can't destroy this now again you know it probably would be something that maybe would be more more semi-permanent because it has to have water incoming to maintain a lake you know what i mean mm-hmm. Well, the family that used to own that, well, the family that still does probably is, is the Boswell family. Right. And they're the ones that were uh, big ass. J.G. Boswell. Yeah. Cotton farmers. Cotton right. farmers in the East East Coast. They, they came over to the East Coast. And, oh, yeah. I mean, West Coast and just planted cotton and row crops and a bunch of other stuff. Old Man Kearney was buddies with them, eh? For reals? No, I don't know. Probably, <laughs> <Maybe>. though. The <laughs> mysterious Old Man Kearney, you know? I mean, I'm sure... If he had plantations in the East Coast, I'm sure he was friends with a lot of people in the East Coast. I'm just thinking out here on the West Coast. I mean, I'm sure there was only so many big giants at the time that were growing cotton, selling to the military, trying to make uniforms and shit, you know, whatever. Definitely. Yeah. Could have been doing hemp all that time now. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I had to talk about Tulare Lake, the search for Tulare Lake, and we found it. And it's something to see. I'll show you videos after the podcast because I took videos, obviously. Um, but go check it out, people, before I, it's gone. I, I want to check you it know? out. I'll show you the pin, the pin drop, yeah. so you know where to go so you can actually see it. Because it's not like you could just go anywhere to see it. Unless you maybe went up, like, Kettleman City almost, like, and maybe looked down across. But I don't know. I don't think you could see it from Kettleman City, though. I don't know. But historically, that's where it would go almost, too. Is it, like, bigger than a town? Is it bigger than Reedley? Like, yes. You, yeah? 100%. It was a big body it's water. A huge lake. It was a pretty yeah. big body water. Just the way it stands, and this was like a month ago. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that was when water kind of you could say wasn't even being let out as much anymore, for sure. Like they opened the river a month ago, you know. 
to, to the public. I mean, there's more water being let into there right now. Right. I mean, still yeah. flowing down to that point for sure. Yeah. And it's going all its way. It's getting diverted to all these other districts along the way, blah, 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 canals, whatever. Getting pumped into the San Joaquin still, I'm sure, at a certain point. But whatever doesn't get caught by all those possibilities goes and lands in Tulare Lake. Yeah. It's pretty wild. That's insane, dude. We're talking about water and stuff, and before we move on, I want to talk about, like, irrigation. Like, and, like, what kind of irrigation do you prefer, and what do you use on the farm? Well, we're uh, plum farmers, and we're pretty old school still. We, we use a... Dang, I forgot the name. Like sprinkler? No. Or not, like flood? Flood irrigation, yeah, exactly. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> like like furrows, though? Like alongside yeah. the tree? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, do, yeah. we do furrows and, like... Yeah. Yeah, that's been working out pretty good for us, except for when there's a drought. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we, sure. we use our pump, and like I said, our water table's not super bad, but it's still pretty bad. We had to get a new well in uh, last year, which is not bad because like the water table didn't rise at all so we're we're cool right now we're sitting at it went as far as like 300 so we're sitting at like 150 almost 200 so we'll be all right but um big we're like right next to fowler packing and one of our ranches and dang they use pump they just pump pump and pump from the ground man they use none of the canal like they don't even like mess with like altar irrigation at all like they're just don't even care their irrigator does not even know the phone number because it's privatized more right it's essentially in the sense where it's like we want all access to our resource we own the land yeah. that means we own the water we're going to pump as much as we can we don't want to play this game of like if it's the schedule yeah we want to schedule when we want to schedule it when exactly. the trees need it which is more hands-on you could argue but it's also like only the giants can afford to do such a thing right they well obviously they did the math and like they can pay for the electricity and for new pumps and new wells and all that stuff so they just pump and pump and pump and like we're just like dude you're fucking up our water table you know yeah especially the neighbors around them like we just we, we don't fuck with them really too much yeah. yeah and like the people that work with them like they're usually cool too but like we still don't fuck with them yeah so you grow like mostly only plums yeah, just plums. Exclusively? We, we have nectarines, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. With our August fire, this we we have quite a bit of August fire, but mostly plums. Um, ONT, uh, Angelino, and Flavorfall. Wow. Yeah. Those sound beautiful. They are not tasty. Really? Yeah, they're just big, and they have a volume, and they s- create boxes, so we mm-hmm. just plant those and they're pretty good there's buyers yeah yeah maybe by the time they get to the consumer they taste better you've already tested that i doubt it no no so they're for color they're for big largeness they're for the pollinators that we use are actually really tasty dude really yeah we use like dapple dandy and westner and like at least like 12 different varieties for pollinators and i make those into wine and like a bunch of jams and stuff and they're so tasty dude wow yeah but the actual plum that we use to sell like to right now our biggest consumer is actually mexico which is pretty cool actually that is cool yeah especially since the peso's up right now yeah they're buying a lot i mean we're getting dollars so it it doesn't really matter if the peso's up so like I get you. It's, yeah, yeah their, their economy is doing very well compared to ours, at least. 
No, that's that's interesting you say that because there's a lot of labor that uh, farm labor in general, like growing agriculture that has gone, you know, like whatever you want to call it, like people used to call it overseas, but it's gone down to Mexico, bro. Like a lot yeah. of growers grow and send it to, to the to the states. Like actually, I read somewhere where like the United States and Mexico's um, trade relationship is like we're like that's like our best trade relationship exactly. and it kind of goes unnoticed because a lot of people forget but it's like duh it's right there yeah. why would we be shipping it from across this, the ocean when it's literally right there you know why wouldn't we do business you know whatever you guys decide economically is better for your bottom end that's really what you're doing but um you're still like you're cutting costs you could say but also you're getting fresher produce whatever it is whether it's peppers because that's a big commodity down there for sure tequila like we were discussing. Yeah. yeah. Avocados. Yeah. Like it's it's so good that like truck drivers drive down there. Like they they make the same amount of money as they do here in the States, the truck drivers. Mm-hmm. If they drive down there and pick it up and then come back. Right. As if like they were in the States, you know. Right. Yeah. So our drivers go to Mexico and pick up and then come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They pro- they don't do that in Canada. They don't do that anywhere else. Like even if it's maple syrup or whatever Canada has, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of crops do you want to grow? Well, like they have wood. Like I know they go up there for wood. Like for redwood and yeah, yeah, pine and all that stuff. What kind of crops do you want to grow? Oh, like because I know you grow plums and you're like they're not that tasty and stuff. Like, but like it's cool. But like forward thinking like is that what you the plan is to just continue to grow plums or is there a point where maybe we have to choose a different crop or nah like you think you got plums unlocked for a, a foreseeable future at least for a couple of decades right or yeah, something right de- definitely yeah. Plum, plums are unlocked for like at least for 20 sure. years but for like sure. i like I, I, I fuck around too you know like yeah there's like maybe like half an acre where i fuck around like i plant like all kinds of different stuff see what goes off yeah avocados are really hard to keep here they are i've noticed that I know one avocado farmer here, and uh, he's in Kingsburg, I believe. He's hella cool. But anyways, um, he inspired me. Like, I, I would like to do avocados too, man. Like, yeah. they're so expensive, and you can sell anywhere, basically. Oh, yeah. People love avocados, bro. Yeah. People in the States love avocados, bro. It's, it's almost like a cliche, bro. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that, yeah. Avocado toast, it'll sell for sure. Just put it on the menu. Yeah. Little yeah, bite, just put a three slices of avocado on it and, and some tahini, bro. And you're good, oh, just, dude. you know, <laughs> the lime on the side, bro. Yeah, but avocado is something like really hard to grow here only because of the sun and of the winters, right? Yeah, the freezing temperatures aren't that bad this past year, it wasn't too bad, right? But uh, years before, like, dude, it would frost like at least like 17 times in a year you know i have this theory like or it's not my theory but like that microclimates are a big part of where you can grow certain crops and where certain crops just won't thrive you know yeah because like like, a good example maybe it's not the best example but it's kind of up the alley what we're discussing like with avocados like citrus like there's orange cove there's lemon cove uh you see citrus a lot of tucked up next to foothill areas in the valley but you don't see them really on the west side maybe they did Mm. at one point but you don't see that now there's just no way not at all like they never were in the west side yeah right and so that being said like uh i think microclimates have a a lot to do with certain crops to where people say oh you can't grow them here but it's like well maybe 
you can't grow them in the middle smack dab of this valley or whatever. Yeah, but maybe if you shifted to like this small foothill range and you terraced it or whatever and something about the way that the wind blows and the humidity is stable in this pocket or whatever, you could maybe have a farm of said whatever crop. But it has to be big enough, vast enough to actually justify for most people to want to invest in. But, you know, in my backyard, I feel like I live in the middle of a city and I feel like I've created this little microclimate by having a diverse thing to where I'm growing figs and figs grow here. Yes. But like I've had friends that are like, oh, it dies every time or they, yeah. you know, it's probably their, their soil and they have like no other plants or anything else to like, I don't know, create a biodiversity of any kind, you know. And like, I think that that's another part that's missing because we always want to simplify it to like, can I grow a vast quantity of this one monoculture crop? And in and, and, and any place within this 100-mile radius. Because if not, I don't want anything to do with it. That's like the big corporate giants, growers. That's what they want to see. If not, they don't want anything to do with it. But the smaller farmers, like, that may be the future for, like, to get into these markets of, like, I heard people trying to grow passion fruit or something like that out here. Dude, that's crazy. Guava. Like, people be trying to do this weird shit. You know, I had Nate Blackmore on the podcast the last episode. Check that out. Talking about growing subtropical fruits. And he lives up in Northern California more, but still. Uh, it, 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 it's microclimates, man. You, you're talking about, like, stuff that grows in the Amazon, but he's growing up there. In Madeira or, like, in, uh, Modesto? No, and more like in, like, I want to say, like, Santa Barbara. Forgive me, Nate, but I'm pretty what? sure it's in that area. Yeah. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Subtropical and yeah. Santa Barbara? Yeah, he was talking about Crazy. fruits I never even heard of. You know, if you follow him on Instagram, he, he's got all these wild fruits, but they're they're from different parts of the world that generally they say California's not a subtropical environment or climate, but in certain pockets, maybe it is. Or maybe if you irrigate a certain way, it can adapt. You know, maybe no one's ever tried to grow that whatever said crop or fruit or whatever in said area, they never tried it. So they make it seem like, oh no, but it grows there, but it doesn't grow here, you know. People haven't tried everything, right? That's true. You know, they never, not everyone alters their methods appropriately to the crop they're trying to grow either. You know, they wanna do as little as possible a lot of the time, you know, just water sun and just let them go, you know, yeah. but it's like, fuck, you gotta put some more work into some crops, you know, more than others. And if it's not worth the payout though, why would you put in so much labor? to make it your your uh, way of living. But there's a difference between that and then having like cool plants in your backyard that only you have the fruit and access to that fruit. That's cool too though. That's a whole nother, you know, realm of possibility. And I feel like Nate Blackmore is after a lot of that kind of thinking too, where he wants to be able to have a nursery where if those, those plant freaks want to come get some wild shit, they got a place to go to, you know what I mean? Dude, passion fruit is like $100 a box online. Really? Yeah, and it comes from like Oregon or some weird ass place like that. Uh-huh. Well, Oregon's not weird, but like... <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. Keep Oregon weird. <laughs> yeah, like, and they send it to you and it's like a hundred bucks a box and it comes with like six passion fruits and it's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Crazy. That's wild. Yeah, they are pretty expensive. Dragon fruit. Dragon yeah, fruit. That's a yeah. wild one. But I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if these are all exactly what Nate Blackmore or people are necessarily growing like on large scale or anything, but people have found ways to grow certain things. I remember when I worked at the hardware store here in Reedley, California, we delivered a barbecue to one of the homies' houses. We went in the backyard. He had the best garden, chickens, of course, and mm. this avocado tree, I've never seen this. Av an, an avocado tree looks so pristine. Never. Not in, a, not in a spot where they actually grow them, like on a farm scale or anything. It was just beautifully 
beautifully taken care of. It was like years old or was it like... Yeah, it was at least like 10 years old, I would say. Nah, I'm I'm exaggerating, but it was probably like, it was at least five because it was pretty stout and it was pretty tall. Was it like Hava or like, you know, the... I think it was Haas, like the regular, like the ones that like most people go bangers off the... Like the wrinkly one? Oh, no, actually. The ones that are like harder. Smoother one? Harder outside. Like the Haas avocado is like, I think Subway. Like, you know, the ones that they use where it's got a harder outside and you can just like cut kind of it away from the... From the peel, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever you'd call it, the skin. Oh, dude, that shit cuts like butter, man. But this guy, he knew what he was doing, and obviously he was an older Hispanic dude, and he was, yeah. like, telling me in Spanish, like, I've been growing plants for a long time. I learned from my parents who learned from their parents, you know, and I'm like, dude, you got it on lock, my friend. It was probably yeah. from me truck on or something. Maybe, but he was a wise dude, you know. You never know what people got inside their brain, too. Was it You're like talking a- to people, they might have some vast knowledge about some subject you never even ventured into. Was yeah. it on a trellis? That, uh, no, it was just like solid trunk, stout. A tree. Tree. Like, like a full-on tree. Like looking in like a book where you're like, it looks like a perfect specimen. You know, it was amazing. I was tripping out. By itself? like He had that there. and then he had like, I, I, could, I don't even know what he had, but he had like uh, some kind of apricot. Um, some kind of nut tree. I don't even know. It looked like a nut tree, though. Probably guava right next to it or something. Dude, he had a bunch of cool stuff, yeah. though, that I was like, what the heck? This guy knows what's up, dude, you know? He wasn't growing pistachios. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, he wasn't growing nuts. Almonds. Yeah. <laughs> but I like growing figs, you know? I like figs. I think they're really different. They're a ficus, technically. They're not a fruit, technically. They're inflorescence. Inflorescence? A cyconia is technically like what ficus's fruit is called. Mm-hmm. But by definition in the fruit world, uh, the fig falls into a category of inflorescence, meaning it's an inside-out flower. So when you when you open the fig, all of those are the pistils and the stamen inside there. What? It's like the flower is inside. And if you were to like almost peel it in half and flip it inside out, you would kind of be like, oh yeah, it kind of looks like a flower. Like there's all the pistols and stamens like sticking out. It's like inside out. All the like the seeds are in the inside. So when you turn it inside out, it's just a bunch of little strands of. Right. Right. It's like a, it's like a. The pistons are in there? Pistol. Yeah, the pistons. Yeah, the motor. The motor's in there. (laughs) You got to make sure there's oil. No, No, yeah, the pistols and the stamens, like the the parts of the flower, you know? Male and female parts? I don't know, actually. Maybe I'm hella stupid, but either way, the parts of the flower, and it's a female plant, the figs that we like to eat specifically, Mm -hmm. they're a certain variety, the ficus uh, carica. That's like the classic Black Mission fig. You know, Black Mission would be the SPP or whatever, the, the you know, cultivar. You know? you know, in Iran, they have it like in a trellis. Oh. You should try doing a trellis. Because like I've, I've seen your figs and yeah. beautiful, honestly, beautiful. But like the back two, you should probably try and do it like in a trellis. Like sideways, like vertical? Like just put some maybe like a V. Like a V trellis would yeah. probably be good. Yeah, yeah. Like the new V that everyone's doing. Yeah, like yeah. They're the doing it with stone fruit and yeah, everything. The, the, yeah. still, I even seen fruit. a citrus yeah. field doing it. And I was like, whoa. What? Yeah. I was like, Crazy. what are you guys doing? Yeah. They're going to cut, like, V cut the middle, like, hedge the middle in, maybe. Who knows, bro? What? Some wild ass window shit. It's not like the original California V. The original California V was like 60s, where, like, it was literally two fucking scaffolds. And it was just, like, every three feet, da, 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 mm-hmm. like two scaffolds. Each tree was like three or three to like five feet, which is like super close together. Yeah. 
No, I thought about doing that. I want to play with figs more because I feel like figs. There, there's a fig empire in Madeira for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. There's hell of figs that grow out there. There's but. only one fig farmer in Ridley that I know of, mm-hmm. and he's not from here. Obviously, he's from like the West Coast or something. But um, he's over there on um, Lincoln and Frankwood, and in between Frankwood and Reed. Uh huh. So he's like right in the middle. And, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like dude, like twenty percent are still living because like from what he planted he planted like eight acres only 20 percent are still alive from what he planted probably frost yeah yeah I a, myriad, a myriad of things for sure though yeah there's a lot of rot i feel like and when you're trying to grow monocultures of things i feel yeah. like it's the inevitability not all soil is equal across the land either you know there's like nutrient there's tie-ups there's a lot of things depends on what they did what their fertilizer program how many salts are in the soil like there's a lot to play with but i think that um like you're saying like different methodologies for different practices if we're going for fresh figs going to you know cocktail bars or if you're going to uh fresh farmers markets or direct to consumer like they want to buy your fresh figs because they heard about your shit or whatever maybe trellising it like you're saying would be a great idea because it would put all the weight on a trellis too you could just go down the line and pick it a fig tree is kind of wild to pick bro and it fucks you up it's itchy bro it gets your arms to leave as like little little hooks like almost little blades and it scratches you and um but you just wear like long sleeves and stuff obviously but but uh if you could just go down the row and just kind of that would be ideal because if not you're searching for all these one by one and it ain't like a peach tree where they are like your plums or whatever where they're more big so you can kind of see them at least figs can be like small ish like not bigger than the palm of your hand generally and like uh, they're kind of hiding, you know. They come right in between where the leaf comes off of the the, the branch, you know, in the little inner nodes. It, you know? it can trick you too. Like it looks right, but it's not. Uh-huh. Like yeah. you pick, like you're dang, dude. Yeah, What's you go. Where, you have a hard. You you, you yeah. climb the tree basically, and it's just like, oh man, it's rotting. Yeah. There's dried fruit beetle in these things. Dude, like insects love that stuff. They man. love the figs. They just though, bro. crawl in there and just you got to pick live. them quick, bro. Straight up. I don't use any kind of sprays, but I don't have a huge monoculture farm, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I know that the dried fruit beetle definitely gets in those. It's a little beetle. It's like brown. It gets all up in those. Um, I used to work with them at the at the research center at UC Kearney. Mm-hmm. We would go to the to Madeira and do all these different trap methods to like trap dried fruit beetle because in figs it's like a massive destroyer because they're literally trying to create dried fruit. So once they strip all, they, they basically windrow all the figs and they let them dry for a little bit on the ground and then they suck them up and then they go take them to a dehydrator and it's like by that time you know there's hella bugs in them but we yeah. still eat them bro like you know I don't don't take the good. bugs hella out there's no way they're still hella good when you get that grittiness it's not just the pistols and the stains that's <laughs> maybe a dried fruit beetle in there but who cares they homogenized it right it's all good you know but it's kind of weird but like I remember us doing like. Uh, mass trap methods where you like take like a little make a little trap but you put like yeast and you mash some figs and add some water so you're making like fig wine like a fig tree smells basically from all the food that drops you know and they go to it bro they go to it and you could trap like thousands in a cup in a week you know what i mean that like that much you know so i thought about doing that because it would be at least like a trap method but then it's also attracting them but if they all go to this source that's wafting even more intensely than the actual fruit theoretically maybe they would go to that and you could just dump out the bucket you know what i mean and and save some of your impact from pests so uh you know about like the whole price hike and labor or minimum wage going up so labor going up obviously right consistently yeah it's intense man like um 
obviously like small time farmers like they cut down on labor like if you can do it yourself like you should do it right and like uh, the people that don't complain are usually s- small, small farmers that like actually do the labor themselves. Like they kind of understand, like all right, you know, like fifteen fifty an hour, like that's that's cool, you know, like that's how much they should be making because it's super labor intensive. It's so hard though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, I also I understand like big time corporations, like dang dude, labor went up, like you know, but like it all evens out at the end, you know. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That's why everyone hires less people over the years, you know, to do the same amount of work, if not more. Every year they're trying to make more profit. That's mm-hmm. the that's the goal of any business in capitalism, to make more than the previous year, date to date even. Like, it's like, how the fuck is it going to be exact date to date? But whatever, that's their projections most likely on economic scales. That's what, like, every business looks at it. Like, can we do better than last year? We have to do more sales than last year because nothing's going down ever again. Everything's going to always go up. So we, we have to keep making more every year more 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 but if you have to spend more on labor now and you have thousands of employees if you're a big ass company right that's a lot of money that's going to take off from the top so that means you have to make even more sales well then the only solution is to either go mechanical or hire less people and rely on only physical human labor but then there's also a point where they can't do it anymore or you won't find employees because they don't want to be there 12 15 hours a day every day finding employees is hard that's true But let me tell you something, like, ever since, like, 2019, like, we've been hitting, like, super, like, high, like, selling amounts, like... Like, yield in general? Yeah, or like, like or we're, like, like, okay, so the way farming works is, like, okay, like, one out of, like, project projection-wise, like, one out of, like, five years, you'll hit it big, like, where you'll make enough money to where, like, you know, you can retire, basically, like, you'll just make so much money that, like yeah I fucking hit it you know like hitting the lotto or something like that but um ever since 2019 you've been hitting like real good like margins like on as far as box prices because that's what really matters is like if you can fill a box and you know and the box moves and you sell it and like once once the box moves like you you have the money in your pocket right so the way it works is like you'll make the money and like it doesn't matter because like you made so much money and it's just like you don't really like you save it obviously for like a bad year but we haven't had a bad year since like 2018 or 2017 was like a really bad year and like 2018 was all right and then 2019 was like the best year and then 2020 was like dude how the fuck could even could you get better you know and then like the covid happened and all that shit and it was still good you know and like it stayed stable since then, so we're we're okay, you know. Like, as far as like pricing wise, like we can afford the the high labor costs and all that stuff because of like the high pricing. And if you know how to like do plums, like you'll you'll be all right. But like if you're brand new into it, like maybe you won't make as much because like your plum yield is like super low because of the pollinators bad or yeah whatever but but like if you've been doing plums for years like we have like because back then it was like once every like five years we'll like we'll hit it good and like we'll be like oh fuck yeah you know like badass pricing and all that stuff yeah yeah. and everybody's moved on to like um nuts and oranges because of the low labor cost and you'll use maybe like a crew of labor bin for like a week tops on like a 20 acre farm 
and that's it you know the rest you can do yourself and farmers can do themselves and all that stuff so at the end of the day like stone fruit like I think that's where it's at right now because like almonds and pistachios are like the pricing's going down obviously because everybody's doing it and so is citrus everybody's doing it so and we always need those sources though but like yeah Yeah. plant the whole state full of almonds it's like yo there's gonna be too many almonds bro like there's a point where it's like you know if everyone's selling almond and almonds it's the the law of supply and demand like if there's too much supply now like less people want it almost over time like you know have you ever ordered almonds through dave wilson nursery no, but I have one in my backyard. Dude, ordering an almond tree through Dave and Wilson, like, you'll wait three to five years. Like, it's ridiculous. Oh, everybody, for sure. Everybody wants to plant almond, but I bet after this year, like, everyone's going to go to stone fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or something different, maybe. Uh, hopefully. In some areas, too, specifically, yeah. like, where they really don't get much water. Like, I'm sure they're yeah. like, hey, we could grow something here, though. Yeah, the, let's oh. grow. Te- let's grow agave. Let's make tequila. Who knows? Like, right on the west side, it's like a, it is a desert. It might be perfect. Does does agave grow with saline conditions? It might be perfect. It Definitely. might be fine. <laughs> the the frost is what will probably murk your agave. But we'll put some fucking cloths up. No, exactly. <laughs> put some yes. fans out there, homie. Like you put do with citrus, fans, yeah. bro. You know, because it's a really like hands off crop compared to a lot of these other ones. Like you know, theoretically, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I, I could imagine a short, uh, soon future where that's what a lot of people are going to do with the West Side. There's going to be extreme changes. I don't know. And pistachios keep going in. They're going to keep blowing them, you know. I hope so. I love pistachios. <laughs> I like pistachios, but yeah, I don't like miles shit. of them, you know. But the world does. <laughs> that's yeah, what it takes to make the world happy, definitely. you know, of how much pistachio input they want. And you're like trail mixes and you're whatever. You I know? mean, ca- California's main competitor is like Peru. Yeah. Because they grow like the exact same things we grow. Like mm-hmm. down to like kiwis. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like everything we grow, Peru grows yeah. also. Which is connected to the Amazon though, see? Yeah, they so have, it's very interesting. They have that subtropical climate, and they have the they also have that frost because they're pretty high up, also. Yeah. So they're basically the same thing as California. Yeah, but we were talking about labor. I don't want to get too far oh, off yeah, here, sorry. but like, no, I'm sorry because yeah. I always get carried away with plants and all that stuff. Yeah. But like, uh, labor though consistently keeps rising. Yes, but you're saying that there's a lot less hand labor that's almost necessary with certain crops that are going in and stuff. They're less laborious uh, intentionally right? Yeah. to cu- to to counteract that gr- uh, rising minimum wage, yes. which is sadly all that we pay our farm laborers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is pretty sad that that's all we pay them because like I think about it and I'm just like, dang, how how come that like, okay, so fifteen fifty an hour, what's that like? Five six hundred dollars a week maybe if you're working full-time yeah if you're working 40 to that's two grand a month bro yeah, two that's grand most a month. people's rent that is rent altogether so you have your wife working out there also so yeah you can... and then you're trying to get the overtime because then yeah. that adds up stacks up real quick yeah exactly so but it's so cruel i think and it's it, take all emotion out of it let's talk log- logic only we have a minimum wage but we do not have a maximum wage Right? That's a work on the people. Never forget it. You know, <laughs> for sure. We're about have to, to have to convert to the Symbiosis Now podcast because we're about to get real serious, huh? Right? Yeah. Because minimum wage is a big deal, you know? Like, that's because small-time farmers, like, if minimum wage went up to $20, like, we're so fucked because we have to pay the contractor an extra 15% or whatever they Right, make. right. Yeah. So, like, if we pay overtime... 
we pay the contractor $30 an hour and the laborer makes twenty three fifty or something like that, twenty three. Mm, because they're the connection though, like the, the contractor is basically the connection between the laborers and the farmer, the grower, right? Like, cause they're yeah. the ones that are negotiating essentially or well, whatever, so scheduling it out, whatever, yeah. right? They pay for the insurance and they have the worker ready to go because they contract them full time, right? supposedly, but they probably only contract them only six months out of the year. Right. Yeah. But the way they make ends meet, the way the worker makes ends meet, like, you know, after harvest season's over, like, what do they do? Like, they, they make their $500, $600 a week for six months or nine months if they're lucky. What do they do for three months, you know? So what they do is um, they apply for um, unemployment if, if they have papers, you know? Yeah. They apply for unemployment. And while they're on employment, they work under the table cash. And it's fascinating to me because the workers that don't have Social Security, the ones that are here illegally, like, they buy a fake social so they can work under it. And then when it's time for, or maybe it's a real social, they just work under, like, maybe, your name's Tyler, maybe you'll work under Maria Herrera or something like that. Yeah. Or Maria Huerta or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you'll work under that, and you're paying, right? You're paying someone for that social security and they're making money off you because they'll apply, they'll apply for unemployment once you're done and then once you're done you paid them like a hundred bucks for that social right and then once you're done once you're done with your nine months you'll you'll want to apply for unemployment but you can't because you're illegal so you'll have to work under the table for three months under a different or you can work under a different name you could probably work your social well actually no because you're illegal so you don't have a social so you'll work under a different social for another three months and you're pretty screwed honestly like if you're a legal immigrant because you won't be able to afford rent at all like you're here alone you're in the United States alone right you got a social security to work a name that you don't even know Maria Huerta you work that full social security all nine months and then they're just like hey man you can't work that social security anymore because we're going to apply for unemployment under that social security so they cop that money from you and then like you have to work a different name or you have to work under the table for the winter months yeah or you or you go back to your hometown in mexico wherever you're from but it's still done it's still accomplished every people still make it happen somehow man you know I always uh, thought it was almost like it's cruel, but it's a miracle that so many farmers, growers over the decades relied on illegal immigrants to do their labor. And then ironically, they're like, build a wall, you know? And I'm not saying that like, oh, if you build a wall, you won't have any workers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, it's interesting how it's like you literally are perpetuating the same system that you're mad at. As a, as a citizen of the United States, just in general, a businessman, whatever you want to call it, take away the farmer ad, ad, attitude about it. Your employees that you need to get the job done that you rely on, that you pay minimum wage, minimum wage, right? To just come in and do what you need to do. Back-breaking labor before machines and stuff, or even over the last couple of decades, bro, machines have gotten even better and better, but yeah, people buddy. still would do back-breaking fucking labor bro picking lettuce up all day and flipping raisin trays and shit all day, bro. I can't do that. I would be exhausted, bro. I would be so sore. Like, I think most people don't even know. But people listening right now, maybe a PCA out there sitting in his truck, 
give it a good old listen. Getting a sunburn <laughs> on his left arm. <laughs> Shout out to you, though. We need you. Yeah, definitely. But you're sitting there going, I could flip trays of raisins all day. Bullshit, bro. Get out there and do it. Maybe he does. Maybe we got one that's a wild one right now listening going, oh, I could do it. Anyway, all right, do it. But I really don't think so because I could. I mean, that's hard fucking work, bro, all day. Fuck yeah. For eight hours and then come back and do it again tomorrow and then do it again, do it again, do it again until it's all over. That's tough, man. Just that. That's just an example. One example, you know, pruning all day, bro. It's hard. I get exhausted and hot as shit when I go prune like my five trees, bro. I'm like, damn, this is some craziness. Let alone just one after another, after another, after another, after another. Grapevines, bro, even. They're just hard to deal with sometimes, man. You, you know, it's hard work, man. That's why I trip on uh, Devin Nunez, dude. Because he's, like, all about farmers in Reedley, or farmers in Fresno in general, uh-huh. in the Central Valley mm-hmm. in general. Right. And he's, like, all about building that wall also. But it might be a political thing, or I don't know what he's trying to do, but or what he was trying to do. I don't even know where he's at anymore these days. I don't see his signs posted everywhere anymore. Neither do I. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. He said no to socialism. He made his point, and he was out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. He was a wild one, though. I see those signs across the freeway all the time with, listen to my podcast, oh. say no to socialism, you know? I, I love those, dude. Like, yeah. the whole, like, make dams, not not uh, war or something. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need more damned water. Yeah. Dam storage is vital like, or whatever. Where are you yeah. going to make another dam at, dude? Like, fuck. But good times, good vibes. Kayo, thank you for coming on the Cali Ag podcast. I love it, dude. Enlightening us on what you're doing out there in the real Cali agricultural world. I'm in it, man. Yeah. Yeah. From you really d- are. Down from the labor all the way up to the selling point. Like, that's where I'm at, man. That's why you got to come back on soon. A couple episodes away. Talk more. I Talk hope about so. how the season's been, you know? Yeah, what man. What are we doing now in the winter, in the off season? What are we doing to prepare as we get through, you know? Oh, I'd, I'd love to talk about, like, rootstock and, like, a bunch of other stuff that we that we do physically and absolutely yeah, and all the preparation that sounds like a lot of segment of a great episode right I'll, there i actually have some good videos of you of, uh, i'm not not of you of a, actually it's abraham like he he was actually helping me prepare for like getting the bees ready and all that stuff yeah if you want i don't know if you can upload videos but dude we should dude i'm about to get there on the symbiosis now network website i'm about to start putting like videos up and stuff oh, i think I pretty soon yeah so I people can see I have some cool bee ones where, like, we prepare for the bees and all that stuff. I'm going to have a beekeeper on soon, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm actually a beekeeper. Well, then we got to talk about that the next time, too, then. Oh, That's already sure. two th- – that's a whole episode right there between those two <laughs> topics, bro. We're on, bro. I love bees, dude. They're awesome. The bees love you, bro, if you love them. I hope so. I think so. I feed them well enough, at least. <laughs> you fed us well with some information today. Never forget that. Shout out to you. Thank you. And all the other hardworking people in Cali Ag. Folks, tell a friend and tell a farmer about the Cali Ag podcast.
This podcast was created by the Symbiosis Now Network and can be found on Instagram for clips, highlights, videos, blah, blah, blah at symbiosis.now.network. And you can listen to the Symbiosis Now podcast as well as the Cali Ag podcast on Spotify, Apple, and all the platforms. Listener, be sure to tell your friends about the Symbiosis Now Network.